evening. Join me in the book of Ruth. I thought about titling the message this evening, The Best Little Book in the Bible, or The Biggest Little Book in the Bible. But a title like that would seem to diminish the importance of all the other little books in the Bible. And so I don't want to do that. So I guess I'll just title this A Big Little Book in the Bible. I've shared with you the story in previous messages of Ben Franklin when he was the liaison for the colonies in France. He was a member of a literary circle that was built primarily of skeptics, people who were agnostics and atheists. And one day in one of their meetings, he was uh, listening to them talk about the Bible, and they were mocking the Bible, saying it had no uh, relativity to life, did not pertain, and was basically a collection of fables, and uh, there was nothing in it that was of any value. And though Ben Franklin himself was not a believer, uh, the story is told that he went home that evening and took out his Bible and wrote out in longhand the entire book of Ruth and changed out the biblical names for modern French names, went back to the next meeting of that literary circle and read in completion the book of Ruth to that collection of agnostics and atheists. When they were finished, when he was finished, they were just in awe, the the beauty of the story, uh, the, the tension, the different scenes, the resolution, all of the elements of good story are here. Where did you get that story, they inquired of Mr. Franklin, from the book you so roundly criticized yesterday, from the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 13, the Apostle Paul instructs young Pastor Timothy, till I come, give attendance to reading. The word that he uses there of reading is not talking about private, personal, quiet reading, but it's talking about public reading. And I figure, at the launch of this study in the book of Ruth, that if Benjamin Franklin can read the entire book to a group of critics and skeptics, and they are in awe of it, then God's people should read it as well. So, I'm going to read the whole thing tonight while you listen. I timed it. It's 13 minutes. I'm going to read it. It will help us to get the full picture all together, not in little snippets, but the whole picture. And then I'm going to make several observations as to why I believe this book is so important in the 66 of the Scripture. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that every word is inspired of God. I thank you for the beauty of this story, the significance of it, and it's short, brief four chapters, but it's being such a crucial link, a crucial part uh, in the entirety of Scripture. Lord, as we read it and then we'll study it over the next several weeks and months, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to new levels of gratitude for the love and the grace of God and those who were faithful to you in very difficult times. And the scarlet thread of redemption began in the garden with the seed of woman and would carry all the way through to an old rugged cross. And So I pray that our hearts would be stirred and that we would grow to love this book, the God of this book, and the Lord Jesus Christ all the more. 
And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Are you ready? Let's obey the Bible. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them until they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. They lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. And then to follow the lead of Alexander Scorby, chapter 2.
And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reaper, Whose dam- reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from thence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. For that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead, Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, 
Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? that it may be well with thee. And now is not Boaz of our kindred... I'm sorry, I have to interject this. I have this tune from the Fiddler on the Roof going through my mind right now. Matchmaker, matchmaker, oh, make me a match. (laughs) Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. I should have left that out. (laughs) Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man, until he have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followedst not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. How be it? There is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night. And it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie thee down until morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he had finished the thing this day. Chapter 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. 
And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders of the city and unto all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's. And all that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. That the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of this place, ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate, the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed, which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son, and the woman said unto Naomi, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Why could someone with a little bias like me towards this book consider it the best little book in the Bible? First of all, one of the beauties of this book is that the book of Ruth, for its brevity, and for its simplicity, bridges a gap in the genealogies of Scripture. Not just the genealogies of the Bible, but it bridges a gap in the genealogy of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 38 tells us the story of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. 
who would in an incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, give birth to two sons, Perez and Zerah. It almost seems out of place, Genesis 38 does, but it tells the story of Judah's illegitimate son named Perez. Chapter 49 will tell us that the scepter will never depart from Judah and that through the descendants of Judah, Shiloh, peace, a testament to the work of Messiah would come. But we come to the end of the book of Genesis and there are ten generations or lists of genealogies that are given in the book of Genesis. But then you go to Exodus, and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Joshua, and Judges. And if you didn't have Ruth, you would jump to Chronicles and there would be a gap in the chronology all the way until you get to Matthew and Luke. And we're left, if you would, at the end of Genesis wondering, okay, so what's going to happen with the descendants of Judah? The ones through whom the king, the, the royal line is supposed to come. And one of the beauties of the book of Ruth and all of its simplicity and its brevity is that it answers that question. Because it picks up with Perez the son of Judah, and carries us all the way through to David. And then the Chronicles will pick up with the descendants of David and carry on to hand the baton, if you would, of the genealogies then to Matthew and Luke. And so I love this about the book of Ruth, that in its simplicity and its beauty, it bridges a gap in genealogy. And let me just say this about the genealogies. The genealogies of Scripture are one of the greatest testaments to the reliability of this book. Okay. That names of real people were put down in connection, proving the descendancy from Adam to Abraham, Abraham to David, David to Jesus. Okay. Another reason why I believe that this is, and a little bit of bias here, the best little book in all the Bible, the Old Testament, maybe we should say is that the book of Ruth illustrates early the concern of the heart of God for Gentiles. Before Isaiah would ever give his great prophecies in 700 AD about God's heart for the Gentiles and that God wanted to use the Jews and the Messiah to be a light to the Gentiles, before Amos would ever talk about the part that Gentiles would have in the plan of God in a story, we see a Moabite being brought into the seed line of Messiah, a Gentile. It's interesting. There are several little nuggets, one of them in chapter number four, where an explanation is given about Jewish custom with the implication that people who were not Jews and would not understand those customs would need a little help understanding the culture. Almost as if, under inspiration, God moved the human penman, whoever it was, Samuel or David, moved the human penman to include little explanations of Jewish custom because he knew that this book would be dear to Gentiles. <laughs> that makes me very happy. Another reason I believe that this is one of the best little books in all the scripture. 
not only because it bridges the gap in genealogies of Scripture, not only because it illustrates the concern of God's heart for Gentiles, but thirdly, this book, in a powerful and a unique way, demonstrates the power of godliness in the darkest of times. You think about the nation of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt, being led by Joshua after Moses had passed off the scene into the promised land after crossing the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us in the book of Joshua, in the beginning parts of the book of Judges, that the people of Israel did right all the days of Joshua and the elders that outlived Joshua. One of the saddest books in all the Bible is the book of Judges. The historical record of six downward spirals of apostasy, where you see the children of Israel getting into wickedness that would make Canaanites blush. And here is this book of Judges, a period of about 300 to 350 years, depending on the reckoning. What also is interesting is the book of Ruth takes place in the town of Bethlehem Ephrata, Bethlehem Judah, the house of bread and praise, Ephrata, uh, the Ephrathites were the nobility, the, the people through whom in the tribe of Judah the seed line would actually pass. And yet here in Bethlehem, Judah, you'll find in chapter 17 and 19, we'll look at these in more detail in the coming weeks, in chapter 17 and 19 of the book of Judah, two sordid accounts of idolatry and immorality are given and they're directly associated with Bethlehem, Judah. And yet it's in Bethlehem, Judah, that this beautiful story of Ruth and Boaz would take place. And then, about 1,200 years after them, it's in the same city of Bethlehem, Judah, of Ephrata, that the most beautiful story of all would begin. The story of the Lord Jesus Christ incarnate. But here, in the midst of the judges, did you notice how the book began in the days when the judges ruled? It came to pass, a time of apostasy, when even though nobility, Elimelech and Naomi, Malon and Kilion are specifically referred to as Ephrathites. They knew their place, they knew their responsibility, and yet they were the ones who in faithlessness forsook the land when famine came. Famine was an indication to God's people in that economy that, that God's judgment was on the land. It wasn't a time to forsake. It was a time to pursue the Lord. It was a time to be faithful. It was a time to point others back to the Lord. That's one of the things of many that I appreciate about Boaz, is Boaz stayed put and was faithful. But when Boaz and Ruth were married, it becomes a beautiful story that demonstrates the power of godliness even during the darkest of times. Boaz and Ruth carved out a godly life in the midst of an entire nation of apostasy. And it's a demonstration to you and to me that no matter how bad things get in our world, by the grace of God, it's possible for us to carve out a godly family. Why do I believe this is the best little book in the Bible? One of the best little books in the Bible, not only because it bridges a gap in the genealogy of Christ, not only because it illustrates the heart of God for the Gentiles, not only because it demonstrates the power of godliness even during the darkest of times, but another beautiful aspect of the book of Ruth is that it gives for us in the Old Testament a type of a Jewish groom 
and a Gentile bride. And all of us Gentiles who are part of the church say, Amen. That a Jewish groom, the Lord Jesus, the great bridegroom, loves his church, a Gentile bride. And it's a wonderful picture in the Old Testament. Preparing hearts as you read through the scriptures to enter into the story of the great bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Fifthly, and finally, why do I personally believe this is one of the best little books in all the Bible? It bridges a gap in the genealogy of Christ. It illustrates God's heart for the Gentiles before Isaiah and Amos were ever on the scene. It demonstrates the power of godliness even during the darkest of times. It gives to us a very early picture of a Jewish groom and a Gentile bride, creating an anticipation for better understanding of our great bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, and his bride, the church. But number five, and I've saved it for last, the book of Ruth, like few, if any other Old Testament book, showcases grace. I emphasized it purposefully several times in chapter number two. There's grace for those who repent. Chapter number one, did you notice how many times we read about return, return, return? There's grace for those who repent. I am often astounded as I read the book of Ruth at the transformation that comes over Naomi from chapter one to chapter four. A woman who says, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasantness. Call me Mara, bitter. Pointing an accusing finger at God as if he's been unjust with her. And yet, as you look at the chronology, looking at the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, it indicates that from the time Naomi came home as a bitter woman, but broken, would go through the process of repentance, that, it, listen, a condition that she had spent over 10 years Spiraling downward in two. In less than a year, she went from bitterness to sitting holding little baby Obed in her lap, praising God. Let me just say this. When the wanderer and the prodigal come home, God takes you back. And he doesn't put you on some kind of uh, penalized probationary period. When the prodigal came home, new shoes got put on his feet, a feast was thrown, a party was thrown, a ring was put on his finger, and he was brought back into the family. Okay. The grace of God for repentance. Let me just say this. It's not the heart of God when his people have the attitude of, I'm going to kind of wait and see whether or not they meant it when they asked me to forgive them. That's not the heart of God. This book is beautiful because it showcases grace. There's grace for repentance. It showcases the riches of grace. Chapter 2 begins by telling us that Boaz was a mighty man of wealth. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet bringing in a way that broke all protocol. Bringing Ruth as an outsider, as a Moabite, as a Gentile, bringing her in to the full experience 
and the enjoyment of his riches that she, of her own accord, said she did not deserve. The riches of grace. What a wonderful Old Testament picture of the riches of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Showcases that there's grace for repentance like few other Old Testament books. It showcases the riches of grace. And it showcases the redemption of grace. The Hebrew word that is used for kinsman redeemer, I've been using G's if you haven't noticed in the points. I know some people are... Alliteration is a disease we pastors have. Do you know that the Hebrew word translated kinsman redeemer is goalim, the kinsman redeemer? Four characteristics of the kinsman redeemer that Boaz pictures that would be ultimately and finally fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more in this study about uh, the kinsman redeemer and the work of redemption as pictured in the Old Testament and then ultimately fulfilled in the New Testament. But in order for this work of redemption to take place, the one doing the redeeming had to be kin. He had to be related. What does that tell us about Jesus? He took not on him the nature of angels for the work of redemption. (laughs) He took upon him the nature of children. He became like you and me. (laughs) He joined the kinship of humanity in order to pay the redemption price. Secondly, the kinsman had to be willing. And Boaz was, and aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. (laughs) I lay it down of myself, and if I lay it down, I will take it up again. Thirdly, the kinsman must be able to redeem. He had to have the resources, the ability, the assets to pay the debt so that the one in bondage could be set free. And Jesus, through his perfect life, through his deity, through his wonderful blood, had all the resources necessary to pay redemption's price. Fourthly, the kinsman had to be free from the debt which encumbered the one he was redeeming. In other words, he couldn't take out a double mortgage. <laughs> okay. He had to be free from the debt. You and I were in debt because of sin. But he who knew no sin became a sin offering for us. And so, I love this little book. Because it bridges the gap in the genealogies. It illustrates the heart of God for Gentiles. It demonstrates the power of godliness even during the darkest of times. It is a picture of a Jewish groom taking a Gentile bride. It showcases the grace of God in the Old Testament like few if any other books do. The grace of repentance, the riches of grace, and the redemption of grace. Think of it. According to Deuteronomy 23, 2 and 3. An illegitimate child and an Ammonite and a Moabite could not come into the congregation of the Lord into the tenth generation. And yet by grace, by grace, Ruth, the Moabitess, is brought in. 
So a Moabite, by grace, becomes a mother in Israel when she marries the son of Rahab the harlot. A Canaanite. And in so doing, Ruth, the Moabitess, who married the son of Rahab the Canaanite, becomes the grandmother of King David. Who? 28 generations later, would have a son, the son of David, named Jesus. All I can say is grace is really amazing. <laughs> Isn't it a wonderful thing to see what grace can do? The grace of God. And so, the book of Ruth, like a single star, against a black night sky. Like a single diamond against dark velvet shines forth out of the filth of the book of Judges and shows us the marvelousness of grace, creates an anticipation for greater love for our great bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, motivates us to godliness when it reminds us and shows us that even in the worst of times, it's possible to lead a godly family. The book of Ruth is this star, is this diamond, creates awe in our hearts as we look a little more deeply into the heart of God for Gentiles. And then through the genealogy and the fact that it bridges the gap, we are made to trust this book all the more. So may I say, as we look at the book of Ruth, look at what grace can do.